All right, so we all know that Thanksgiving is kind of a bullshit holiday, right? It's like Disney's version of Pocahontas. They got everything wrong. All of it wrong. However, you know what's not bullshit? Mm Mm-mm. My mama's sweet potato souffle. I love sweet potato anything. And my mama's broccoli and cheese dip and casserole. And she's going to make potato salad. Don't worry, she doesn't put raisins in it. I'm going to eat like a pig and gobble like a hog. Okay. That sounds great. Future. We're recording this before Thanksgiving, but did you have a good Thanksgiving, my love? Are we in? Oh, I think we're. I think this comes out after Thanksgiving. That's what I mean. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. Although my my cousin told my mom, she's like, should we put my aunt Anna, her mom's ashes? Should we put them out like the urn? Should we put them on the table? And she's like, no, no. And she's like, you want me to put my late husband's ashes on the table too, and they can chat over the turkey? No, we're not doing that. Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we share our weird-ass holiday traditions with all of you lovely listeners. Hi, down bitches. Hello, DB. I'm Ellen Marsh, and across from me is the adorable, soon-to-be, very full, and round Joey Taranto. <laughs> We are the podcast that recaps all of your favorite true crime TV shows. This month, we are covering a very, very nightmarish show called True Nightmares. And on our Patreon, you can find all of our bonus series. We have all kinds of things. We have Snapped. We have Pink Collar Crimes. We have I Almost Got Away With It. My favorite. And we have Southern Fried Homicide. We have American Detective. There is so much extra content. If you want to escape your family for the holidays and want to hang out with two theater-loving, true-crime-talking big mouths, head over to patreon.com slash I Think Not. We have tons of bonus episodes, plus watch parties, plus on our highest tier, you can get Swamp, swamp talk, talk, where last Swamp Talk we cold-called our listeners. It was very fun. That was very fun. I think that's going to be a, a segment that we keep. I think so. I, I, I think so. Lateral left. But uh, we just, we love it here. We love you all. How are you all doing? Yeah, tell us. Because I talked about how I was doing on Swamp Talk and I descended into a a hill. So tell us now, bitches. How are you? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Oh. Uh (laughs) Oh, she's such a bitch. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That's great for you. Thank you. We love you. We love that for you. (laughs) You know that bit that Chris Rock does where he's like, all you have to do is like say to your wife, like, you don't say, "Uh uh-uh, I told you that bitch was crazy. Listen, you you better be careful of Chris Rock because- Why? Well, you never know who's going to slap him. Oh, God. Joseph, let's get to the episode. Season two, episode three, Friends Like These. I'm Todd Robbins, and all my life I've been fascinated with stories so strange, so dark, so twisted. They couldn't possibly be true. Do you know what a Ouija board is? A story about making contact with the dead and getting a very unexpected answer. Here at John Hadland, we put a worker's safety at the top of the list. A place where employees are being worked to death. Something's going on in this place. Cheers. Cheers. And when a toast to someone's health can take a deadly turn. Oh, my God. I think he's dead. But rest assured, the stories you're about to see actually happen. And make it look like an accident. I guess they're nightmares that have already come true. 
So if you are new to True Nightmares, we are going to get three stories to haunt you in the night like Marjorie Taylor Greene dressed as Elle Woods at a Halloween party. It is like French kissing Mitch McConnell after he had one too many Alabama slammas. That's right. And the nightmare continues. And I'm not just talking about Matt Reif's Netflix special. I'm talking about True Nightmare where everything ungodly descends into a shit-stained vortex and the entire hellish ordeal is narrated by none other than Todd Robbins. That's right. I'm Todd Robbins. Oh, Todd! Todd! back! How are you? Yes, I'm back. I'm Todd Robbins. And ever since I was young, I have been obsessed with stories that are true and are nightmares. And they're true nightmares. Todd, you sound different. No, no, it's me, Todd Robbins. I'm behind your cabinet. I'm in the waiting area at your dermatologist. I'm in Chipotle, standing right behind you. I travel from recreation to recreation. Christopher? Christopher, is that you? Christopher, is that you? Yeah, it's just me. I, between a couple things, so thought I'd stop by. What's up? I mean, Christopher, you're not, you're not the host of True Nightmares. Like, we love you, but, like, we have Todd Robbins now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. All right. Thanks, Christopher Todd. Christopher Todd. Okay. Christopher Todd. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 That was awkward. I know. I was like, he th- I love him, but he doesn't do the show. Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> Christopher, I want to know. So buckle up, because we are taking off in the I Think Not DeLorean and headed back into time to tell the story of Nancy Bowen. We're in Buffalo in 1930, and we have a weeping woman at a grave holding the 399 Michaels flowers. Nobody listens to me. Oh, my God. Do you know that when I saw those plastic flowers laid on that Party City tombstone, I was like, Ellen's going to have something to say about this. I was like, just nobody listens to me. Did you know that Buffalo, New York, is the largest flower milling city in the world? No. Yeah, and fair warning, the flower you are all about to be battered in before we drop you in this true nightmare fryer is made with the fear and the regret you will all undoubtedly feel as a result of making the poor decision to download this episode, some of you ad free. (laughs) So Todd Robbins says, Life can be so unfair. Okay. Thanks, Todd Robbins, I guess. I mean, honestly, basically, I don't have much to say or I don't have much input in my life anymore. Things happen and I'm like, oh, oh, is this what we're doing now? Yeah. Okay. I'm just at the point where if like a clown invited me into the woods, I'd be like, yeah, why not? Free hugs. What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) Yeah, let's go, pokey. Yeah. Pokey. So now sweet Nancy did not get to say goodbye to her husband, Charlie. So she went to a psychic and this reenactment psychic is no lie dressed like Miss Cleo. I know we've been mentioning her a lot. Really? I said Madam Ruby. Oh, that too. And Nancy wants to know that Charlie is at peace and she's having a very hard time letting go. Nancy, I see you. I feel you. Nancy, I get it. (laughs) Letting go has never been easy for me. It's not a part of my genetic makeup, but I'm fine. (laughs) So Madam Ruby is like, well, he wasn't wealthy. And she's like, okay, bitch, I didn't ask you to tap into my finances. I want to know if he's okay in the afterlife. And she's like, but he was happy. And you know who's at the reading as well? Who? Todd Robbins, baby. That's right. And the fortune teller's like, fine. Yeah, I guess he's at peace or whatever. I love fortune because like, you can't prove it. No. Like, why aren't we just like fortune tellers? Like, we should all just be mediums and be like, did his name have a vowel? <laughs> Got it totally out of vowel. Did his name start with an A, B, C, D, A, G, A, J? Yes, a J. 
Yeah, so Nancy obviously was not getting the answers she wanted from Miss Cleo, so she confided in her friend Lila Jimerson. Lila Jimerson was a model, and she was a neighbor and a friend to Nancy Bowen. It can be done, you know. Contacting the dead. How? Do you know what a Ouija board is? And Lila convinced Nancy to try and contact Charlie via a Ouija board. I do not like Ouija boards. They make me nervous. And so does anyone who wears a vest with no shirt underneath it, but I digress. <laughs> Were you allowed to play with Ouija boards? Like, Are you joking? Well, I mean, of like, course Did you not. even know what it was? Yes, we knew they were of the devil. They were of the occult. Gorgoth, Slackix, and Tarot Card Readings. Dork-sided. <laughs> and Satanic. <they're>... Demonic. <laughs> So they were routed like, <laughs> and evil. Did you have Ouija boy? <laughs> Did you have a fun childhood, Joey? <laughs> so they sit down with the Ouija board because that makes the most sense. And model Lila was like, "Is there a spirit here? <laughs> spirit, spirits." And the Ouija board is like, "Yes." And they're like, "Who is it?" And the Ouija board spells out Charlie. And poor grieving Nancy's like, "Charlie, that's you." And bitch ass Lila's like, "Shh, come down." Yeah, pipe down. Don't talk too loud. This Spirits don't like that. They'd hate us. I was like, okay, Lila. And then she goes, ask him something only he would know. And she goes, what did you do for a living? Sweetie. I was like, no one knew that, Nancy? Yeah. Was he in the CIA? Yeah, you couldn't ask about the foreplay he enjoyed? Yeah, or like, what was the thing we used when we ran out of lube? And he's like, toothpaste. <laughs> oh, God. Listen, it's... Coke slushies. <laughs> it stings, but it works. But the truth... Disgusting. I have dick. Been, I have been a bad influence on you. <laughs> Truly. Honey? What? He spelled out honey. I know, y'all. We're not always dirty, but when we are, it's filthy. Hey. More and more, Nancy was convinced that she was communing with her late husband. But then they got freaked out when the Ouija board spelled out, she killed me. Okay, Charlie, I don't mean to be rude. I know you've been through a lot, but can you just be a little more specific? She we, killed me. Can we get a proper noun? Can we just get a name? Yeah, well, before they figure out what the name is, Lila freaks out and she bails. But Nancy is like, my husband was murdered. He was murdered. I have to go to the police. So she does. She goes to the cops and she's like, my husband was murdered. I just imagine the conversation in 1930. And they were like, how do you know? And she's like, the Ouija board. But she didn't tell them. Oh, no, I know. I just, I had that backstory oh, in my head. And I like know. the cop was like, the who, the what now? She's like, the Ouija board. <laughs> and he was like, all right, how do you spell Ouija board? W. Just like, no, no, no. Oh, you, it's, it's, I have to it's go. It's a magic board. <laughs> it told me he was a baker. So obviously she didn't tell them that because she knew they would laugh her out of there and they'd yell at her probably for wasting their time. So then there's a really good reenactment actor being the cop in this scene. And he says, Murder is a very hard thing to hide. Is it? Mm. Currently, the average solved murder rate is like 48%. In fact, my beloved hometown of Oakland is a clearance rate of 27%. So I think people hide murders sometimes. Yes. 27%. Wow. It's not a lot of percents. No, it's not. Yeah. Anyway, that reenactment officer, I beg to differ. So Nancy goes back to friend slash neighbor Lila and convinces her to try to commune with Charlie via the Ouija board once more. So they connect with him and of course Nancy's like, who killed you? And the Ouija board spells out the name Clotilde. And Lila's like, holy fuck, I know a woman named 
Clotilde. I have never heard that name no. in my life. No. So two days later, we see this man walk into his home and all Clotilde, or who is meant to be Clotilde, is dead. And apparently someone came into her home and attacked her. It seemed like it was a hammer. And we learn that this man was Clotilde's husband. His name was Henri. And they were artists, French ones, which, do you, like, French artists are just artists who are, like, super rude. Ellen. What? I want you to paint me like one of your French girls. <laughs> Wearing this. Wearing wearing only this. this. Do you know in that scene when he was like, all right, get on the couch, that that was not in the script? Mm -mm. That he was nervous? I mean, Kate Winslet is stunning. Imagine Uh a completely nude Kate Winslet standing in front of you. Titties. (laughs) Well, do you know that when she first met him, too, she flashed him her boobs just to get it over with? I would do that. Yeah. I mean, I would flash, you know, my boobs for a Coke slushie. You know, I'm not. What are you looking at? Nothing. Okay. Um, And so. You're all looking at my tits now, aren't you? <laughs> that is so niche. If you know that, I will send you a cloak slushy. A cloak slushy? <laughs> it's a Coke slushy that's cloaked in velvet. So anyway, the police question Henri and they're like, where were you this afternoon? I was at my studio painting. Do you have any witnesses that would attest to that? Yes. I was with one of my models. You got her name and address? And so the police are like, great, we're going to go talk to that model. The police go and speak with that model. You know what her name is? Lila Jimerson. That's right. Nancy's neighbor and good friend who helped her conjure the spirit. Spirits. So they sit with Lila and they ask her some questions. So basically they were like, do you know Henri? And she was like, yeah, I was modeling for him today. And they were like, did he ever mention his wife? And she's like, "Mm, no, not really. And they're like, okay, well, she's past. And she's like, oh my God, it's all my fault. I mean, I didn't do it. I just, I have this friend Nancy, you see, and we were using a Ouija board. No, we, oh, you, like it just, it's confusing. (laughs) But I can't believe she would go through with it. Yeah, she tells them about how they called the Four Corners looking for Charlie, who was just trying to mind his business up in paradise. And then Lila says, I think Nancy killed Clotilde. So they bring Nancy in for questioning, and she says, yeah, I did that yeah, shit. That was no. me. No, uh, yeah. I definitely did it. Clotilde? Yeah, she had the... Th- yeah, no, no, no. I killed I, her. I, I did. Def- and they're like, okay, Nancy, first of all, calm down. Mm-hmm. You seem a little too excited. Yeah. Why would you do that? And Nancy was like, the Ouija board. Yeah. And I believe the Ouija board. So then the police tell Nancy, listen... We looked into this. Charlie was not murdered. He had a stroke, my dear. And Nancy says, well, Charlie says otherwise. Yeah, that's not what the Ouija board says, sir. So I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna choose to believe the board. Thank you. And then we see an unnecessarily violent reenactment of Nancy murdering Clotilde. It was fucking horrifying. This reenactment makes Saw look like a Pixar film. I hated every second of it. I wrote, this is so gruesome and graphic. And she was like... Like, we see her go in and be like, I'm Charlie's wife. And then she does kill her Y'all, with a it's hammer. very violent. It was unsettling for me. We're back at the police station. I want to thank you, Mrs. Bowen, for being so straight with us. We've typed up a statement for you exactly as you gave it to us. I'd like you to look it over right now. And if it is indeed exactly as you told it to us, just give us your signature right there at the bottom. And she's like, nah. And they're like, what do you mean? You just confessed to murdering Clotilde. You need to sign your confession. And she says, this was really sad. Yeah. She said, 
I would sign it, but I don't know how to read or write. Yeah, well, it was 1930. Like, women weren't afforded an education unless you were of the means or something. Yeah. And they were like, um, nice try. Then how did you read the Ouija board? And she was like, actually, great question. Good catch there, officer. Lila told me what the Ouija board said. I asked the questions and Lila would give me the answers. Lila being the friend slash neighbor who was the model for Clotilde's husband, Henri. What the fuck? Yeah. So turns out that Lila and Henri were having an affair and she wanted Henri all to herself. So right now, Lila ain't looking too clairvoyant. She's looking like a mean old murderous cunt. Yeah. And those questions Nancy asked that only Charlie could answer, Lila knew enough to answer them. It was her neighbor. He came home caked in flour and his breath smelled of mascarpone every day. Yeah, he was a baker. Yeah. He wore the big baker hat home every day. He's like, hey, Charlie the baker. You didn't have a more complicated question, Nancy? I mean, and the thing is, is that Lila was having an affair with Henri and she did not want to share her man. So she manipulated Nancy. It's crazy. And Nancy actually got off with a very light sentence when they said that she only got a year in prison because the jury empathized with her. Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, it was 1930. And in the reenactment, they made Nancy seem much younger than she was. Oh, she, she was a lot older. She was a lot older. And they were like, I mean, she's just an old woman who got manipulated. And they're like, well, what about Nancy? And they're like, well, we can't put her in prison for lying because I wish there was a way to put people who lied in prison because there will be some fucking people who would rot there. And this is why you're not a police officer. So that old <laughs> sneaky snipe. You're, you're arrested for what? Lying? Yeah. <laughs> Looking at me <laughs> and then lying about it. <laughs> you can't arrest me for lying. Uh, watch me. Yeah. So that old sneaky snotty Slytherin Lila, she didn't spend a single day in prison. Not a Not a one. Poor Clotilde. This woman was just minding her own business. Also, was Henri in on it? Was he innocent too? The true nightmare here is they don't tell us. We don't know. We are left to guess. We are in the dark. We are in a nightmare. We are in purgatory and hell is around the corner. I'm sure we'll get there because we have another story for you. Now we have a story for you of the Hadland Factory in Covington, England. And Todd Robbins is going to tell us about it. So we're in England in 1971, and Todd Robbins and I have the same sentiment. This job is killing me. And with that sentiment, Todd Robbins, I bid you farewell. Thank you, Todd, for letting me break this to Joey in a nice and funny way. Thank Bye, you. Joey. Bye. Thank you. I've, my service here is done. Bye. Mm-hmm. Do you know who your new co-host is? Who? It's Roseanne Barr. Welcome, Roseanne Barr. Please don't sing the national anthem. And so everyone here hates their job. They do. They work hard. They've all had it. There's Fred, who's worked here for 32 years. Diana, who's worked here for four years and never taken a sick day. And then there's Graham, who is a stickler for detail. And then there's the manager, Bob Eagle, who ran a very tight ship. They were not a big fan of Bob. No, and they worked in a lens factory. So many jobs. And... All these extras are playing disgruntled workers, but, and they say that everything was great. Insert narrator, everything was not great. And I just want to say that for the first time, we're in England and they decide to use accents. Yes. Like, because we've been in England before where they just had perfect accents. I feel like they were on set and one girl was like, should we do accents? <laughs> like, let's do accents since we're in England. Does everyone? 
everyone does a good British accent, right? So they're like, all right, bloody hell. <laughs> let's go get a pint. God save the Queen. Hubbub, we love football. Hubbub, Manchester United. Hubbub, David Beckham. Hubbub, <laughs> Spice Girl. Spice up your life. Spice up your life. Like... <laughs> They're like, okay, mate. See you later, mate. I'm yeah, like, this I'm gonna is... go catch the tube now. This is... See you at your flat. <laughs> at your flat. It is so embarrassing. They're like peas and carrots, mushy peas. Let's go for a curry. Shepherd's pie. <laughs> they eat shepherd's pie later. They do. It is so quintessentially English, but you could. T- These accents are horrible. I hate being American. I'm sorry. Yes. Recently, the ranks at the factory were a bit thin. A nasty fluid spread through town, and it seems to have hit the workers here especially hard. Fred, who's been there for 32 years, has it bad. But he's still at work. I mean, everyone is getting it. And and, and they're down a lot of workers. And so everyone has had to put in overtime because people have been in and out of being sick. And all the British actors are like, cheese and biscuits, cheese and biscuits, oh, bloody hell. Jesus Christ. I fucking bloody. Fuck bloody hell. And so they were like, listen, I know people are sick, but... But lenses aren't going to make themselves, so let's go. So Fred is visibly very sick, and he goes home, and his wife makes him shepherd's pie. She sure does. Because <laughs> um, we're in England, and that's what English people do. Yeah. I don't know why people didn't call out sick. Can I tell you one of my favorite Broadway stories? Go. There's, uh, you know, the dancer, Kadeen? I know exactly what story you're going to I say. love this story so much. When she was doing... Uh, Lion King. Th- was it Lion King? It was Lion King. And she would call and be like, hello, bonjour. Um, she was French. I cannot come to work tonight I am sick and they'd be like oh no what are, I'm sorry you're sick what are you sick with she's like I am sick of the show yeah. okay I'll see you tomorrow <laughs> That's like a, and she's a gorgeous very like renowned dancer she's been in everything and no one fucks with Karin no like you just don't fuck with her so Fred goes home he's got mandatory overtime the next day his wife has made him shepherd's pie and Fred all of a sudden turns Scottish all of a sudden he's did I shre- do that? no he is he, the actor does that oh all of a sudden he's like oh god to get to me bed. Yeah. We scream for yeah. shepherd's pie. It was so weird. But he's like, I don't feel good. I'm not really going to eat. And she's like, but shepherd's pie is your favorite. Yeah. And you're English. What's <laughs> happening? Oi, oi, oi. We're in England. Yeah. Go Manchester United. Yeah. Brexit. So Fred goes to bed. And the next morning, he had to be up very early. Fred, come and get your breakfast. It's on the table. It's 5.30. You're going to be late. Fred? So she goes into the bedroom to wake him up and she realizes Fred has died. Yeah. It's horrifying. It is so scary. And then Todd Robbins, who honestly is so sensitive, he goes to the whiteboard where all of their schedules are and he just erases Fred Biggs's name. I was like, Jesus Christ. This is harsh, Todd Robbins. I was like, what is this, the Hunger Games? Yeah, so everyone at the factory is devastated. They're like, hubbub, this is terrible. Can I just tell you, when the reenactment wife found Fred you know, had passed and her acting was not great. But I still was like, imagine finding your spouse like that. It's horrible. It happens. I know. So half the people at the factory are homesick. Yeah, everyone is obviously very nervous. And and they're trying to console each other. And manager Bob comes along and is like, well, Fred would want us to keep going. He'd want us to get the job done. Let's get our quota in. Leaving everyone thinking, Bob's a dick. (laughs) He's like, pish posh, pip pip. Let's go then. Step in time. Yeah. Step, Kick your knees up. Step in time. 
Come on, then. Let's have a sing-song in Fred's honor. The best line delivery in Mary Poppins. Do you know what I'm going to say? Um, It's truly my favorite. It it makes me giggle every single time. Oh, no. What is that? The position has been filled. That is great. (laughs) So three months later, dozens of factory workers are still sick. The town they lived in had all sort of moved on from this, but not in the factory. Literally half the workers are not showing up. And so Diana is feeling something weird is going on. Like, she just thinks something is up. The flu hit the plant very hard, and 70 employees got sick with this flu. 70. And no one really knew much to do except just to keep working because they had to keep the plant open. And there were some very unflu-like symptoms. For example, there was temporary blindness, hair loss, extreme pain, organ failure. It's very unusual. That's not very flu-like. Yeah, that is not flu-like. I was like, name a flu-like symptom. Is anyone coughing, sniffing, sneezing, stuffy head fever so you can rest medicine? Anyone? 78 employees got sick with this, quote, flu, but they kept the plant open. They just kept on working. What is this, Broadway? I mean... (laughs) They're like, oh, your ankle's broken. The show must go on. Can you can you hop? Can you just hop? Can you hop to 12? Yeah, if you can get, even if you can get to 11 and a half, just get to 11 and a half and do your best. Can I just tell you, that training of the show must go on really is so embedded in you. I broke my foot in kinky boots and you watched me mm-hmm. with terror in your eyes finish the finale with a broken foot, even though I should have walked off walked that off stage, stage and I did not. I also had an epiphany the other day that I have been preparing for show business my entire life because growing up in church, there is no greater stage because we all fight before church, scream at each other, eating Cheerios, trying to iron each other's clothes, yelling about all getting in the car, and then you'd show up at church and be like, good morning, how are you? The show goes on. Mm -hmm. I have been ready for show business since three. Yeah. It's crazy. The shit that I have done and pushed through, like I've pushed through sprained ankles. I've pushed through sickness. I I look back and I'm like, you could have called out, Ellen. You could have called out. taken the day. Do you know when I was in Rose Tattoo, I got food poisoning and I went off stage and I threw up not in my dressing room and I went back on stage. Wow. And Audrea Burns turned to me and said, you're gray. (laughs) I mean, that it's just the training. It just kicks in. So Bob, the manager, is out here trying to convince people that it's a common cold. You are a common criminal, Bob. Fuck you, Bob. (laughs) Bring your mom around here so I'll cuss her ass out too. But now I feel bad. I actually feel really bad. Yeah. Because I wrote this down in my notes before finding out that fucking Bob, the manager, also dies work. He heals over his desk. It's not the flu. It's not the flu. Bob had been experiencing numbness all over his body. That is not the flu. Yeah, there's enough people dying. So they're like, company meeting. Yes. Can we have a company meeting? Because people are dying, including Bob over there. I mean, we didn't really like him, but nobody wanted him to die. No. Here at John Hadland, we put a worker's safety at the top of the list. And to prove that's the case, we are going to be shutting down production temporarily until we get to the bottom of this, okay? And just so that you are all aware, we have already checked for high levels of environmental toxins. Uh, Excuse me, madam. 
And that's when Graham speaks up and asks, have you checked for thallium? Because they make thallium bromide iodine lenses in this factory. And it can be highly toxic. And if it's not contained properly, it can poison people. Well, management was like, (laughs) it was quite odd. They did not know what to say. They're like, right, okay, we'll check for that. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And then this woman just pops on the screen and she's like, actually, thallium poisoning is a lot like the flu. It was like, okay. Yeah, thank you for that information. So they bring in a bunch of people in hazmat suits to check the lab up and down. Nothing was there. Nothing poisonous. So they're like, nothing poisonous. Right. Back to work. There's some Tim Tams in the break room. Enjoy yourselves and have some chips, which are actually fries and have some crisps, which are actually chips. chips. Yeah. Yes. And so here's the thing. Something to keep in mind here is Graham was the only one who knew that thallium is toxic. None of the other factory workers knew that, and they worked with it every single day. He knew an odd amount of information about thallium. So everyone goes back to work, but you know who doesn't show up for work? Graham. So Diana is actually nervous because she's like, you don't think that the management would be like, he knows too much, Exactly, because he's the one who spoke up in the meeting. That's exactly what I thought. So Diana gets on a pay phone. Gather around the campfire, children. Yes, children. Before cell phones, we had to put a quarter in a machine and talk on a phone and put your mouth on the same piece of disgusting plastic that the person right before you talked into and spittled on, and then you would put your mouth right on their spittle. Sounds like Christmas. Yeah. How did we survive? I have no idea. So Diana calls him, no answer. So she's like, fuck this, I'm going to his house. She knocks on his door, no answer. She finally lets herself in. Y'all... I was not prepared for this reenactment. It is horrifying. Buckle up because this is not for the faint of heart. Graham is a Nazi. Graham is a fucking Nazi. I'm not joking. This man has swastikas all over his apartment. This man is a Nazi. And there's a bunch of chemicals everywhere. It looks like a lab. And one of the chemicals, you guessed it, thallium. So she finds like a diary filled with names and dates and a bunch of information. She grabs it like a fucking down bitch and hightails it out of there. The discovery of Graham's diary was significant. It was filled with names, dates, and what is most interesting, precise doses of thallium. With sinister precision, Graham Young was working his way through the company directory, poisoning his co-workers one by one. I did not see this coming. I absolutely did not see this coming. Graham is a Nazi. Graham is a poisonous Nazi. Yeah. So Graham went to work that day. Did I mention he's a Nazi? Yeah. Diana's like, Graham, the guy who knew a lot about thallium, the guy who gives everybody tea every day, he does make great chamomile tea. Right. Oh, I forgot. I've got an accent. He's a Nazi. No, he's a Nazi. He's got thallium. Lots of it. So they cut Graham off like at the door and they're like not so fast empty your pockets there's thallium in his pockets yeah and so investigators go through his apartment and they found all kinds of shit his journal detailed every single account of poisoning this man had been poisoning his co-workers for fucking months he also journaled about how much he gave each person what the effects were he would hypothesize as to whether or not they would die this man is sick in a lot of ways yeah he would make tea for everyone every day and that's how he was poisoning people turns out Graham used to do this in his past he did it to the kids at school he He did it to his own family. And when he was 14, he was sent to a mental institution. Background checks, anyone? 
one? Did we not do background checks in 1971? No, they didn't because you know when he got out of that institution, you know what he did? He got a job at the John Hadlin Laboratory. This man was obsessed with Hitler and obsessed with poisoning people because apparently, I didn't know this, that Hitler would poison people in that way. I mean, I knew the other ways, but like, I didn't know that he used poison. Yeah, he poisoned 70 co-workers, including his bestie, Diana Smart. So he was charged with two murders, two attempted murders, and two counts of administering poison. He was given four consecutive life sentences. Ironically, while he was in prison, he was himself poisoned by a fellow inmate. Graham Young died in prison at the age of 42. It was much to the relief of his fellow inmates and the staff at the prison. Because while Graham was around, they were always filled with worry whenever they consumed any kind of beverage, especially tea. These stories are wild. A fucking Nazi who is poisoning his co-workers only to be poisoned himself in jail? You cannot make this shit up! Yeah, by the way, this guy was obsessed with Hitler. And when we joke about that, the only thing that I'm saying is I'm like a history nerd. I know She's not actually obsessed with I, Hitler. I like, I'm a history nerd and I know way too much about World War II. But I did some research on this fucking guy. Listen to this. In 1962, his stepmother died and they said that her death was attributed to a prolapsed cervical disc, which they thought was like an accident, except Graham admitted to the police that he poisoned her with thallium. He killed his stepmom. And at her fucking wake, he poisoned one of his relatives. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then his dad became really sick and was taken to the hospital and said he was suffering a poisoning. And if he would have gotten one more dose, he would have died. He almost killed his dad. Wow. And so, yeah. So they like arranged for him to have like a meeting with a psychiatrist and they contacted the police after they were like, this kid knows way too much about poisoning. And so when he was 14, that's when he was sent to the mental institution. This guy is crazy. And when he had done all this horrible, he was 14. That is wild. He was Lola's age. Poor Diana was left with lifelong complications because of her poisoning. When you look up this man's mugshot, though, he is creepy as fuck. I believe it. The next story is about drinks of a different kind. Cheers. That bring a dark meaning to the phrase, last call. Is he dead? Well, buckle up, because we have one more story for you all that is sure to make you scream into a pillow while your eyebrows fall out. We move on to the story of Mike Malloy. We are once again in our DeLorean. Great Scott! Pipe down, Doc. It's not your time. We are in a speakeasy in New York, and the year is 1933. There's parking meters outside, not weird at all, and a neon light-up sign that says lounge, very period. And Mike Malloy is a day laborer and a big drinker. He's in a bar with a jukebox that wasn't quite yet invented, not the kind they had in there. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm really, really excited by um, the set design of this show. Well, these reenactment actors are not dressed like they're in the 30s. They're dressed like some Brooklyn hipsters whose idea of a good time is seeing Keen play live at a kombucha farm in Williamsburg. <laughs> and the thing is, is that it's actually sad because Mike was battling an alcohol addiction and he was always at the speakeasy drinking with the same two guys. Now, on this particular night, Mike is very drunk and sort of passed out on the bar. And one of his buddies wakes him up and says, Mike, it's time for you to go home. Here, take some cash for a cab. So he hails a cab that looks like a 1975 Lincoln. Yep. And he's out there and we just hear this 
thud and a cab hit Mike and the cab driver gets down. He's like, he came out of nowhere. And they were like, I think he's dead. Yeah, everyone in the bar runs out. There's cops, there's EMT. And like you said, they're like, I think he's dead. Yeah. No, he's not. He just goes, and he takes this big gasp of life. I jumped. Yeah. And so he starts breathing again. He is alive. After Michael Malloy was hit by the cab, he's mangled pretty badly. He suffers a terrible injury to his leg. He suffers several broken bones. He's taken to the hospital where he stays for quite a while, convalescing from his injuries. One month later, he walks back to his favorite bar, the Regal Beagle. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, he's with his buddies and they're drinking. Like, you know, nothing happened. They're drinking Michelobes. Also, Todd Robbins is there. Yes, and all of these reenactment actors are still dressed like there is a sale on Henley's at American Apparel, RIP. And poor Mike, he just recovered from all these broken bones. He spent so much time in the hospital, but he cannot kick this habit. And he toasts to the two guys who came to visit him in the hospital and And he keeps drinking and he gets off his tits. He leaves the bar so shwasted. And then we cut to the nighttime later that night. Now it's November and they find this person with no clothes on and he's freezing. He's frozen to death. In the New York winter in an alley. It's sad. And this show does not give you a warning. They just jump to tragedy in the blink of an eye. But wait a minute. The paramedics try to move Mike and all of a sudden Mike is gasping for air again. He's not... Not dead. This man survived being hit by a cab, frozen to almost death in his fucking fruit of the looms. He's just in his underwear. Is this man a cat? I don't know. And so Mike survives this, goes to a shelter for people experiencing homelessness. He's given clothes. And a few days later, he's back at the speakeasy, but he's got influenza. And Todd Robbins says, You'd think that after a second near-death experience, Mike would re-examine his life choices. I What kind of fun is that? Wow. Learning from your mistakes. Come on. Neither of us have ever done it. No. That's silly. So they're like, where have you been, Mike? And he was like, the weirdest thing, I died again. It's so funny. And And I came back to life. Yeah. And so he gets pickled again and stumbles home that night. Yeah, this time he makes it to his apartment, and a few days later, the neighbors call the police to report a very strong odor coming from Mike's apartment. And the police investigate, and they find that Mike has passed away. This time, for real. But here's the thing. It seems someone has taken out an insurance policy on Mike. Mike was not married. Mike did not have kids. So who would take out an insurance policy on him? Yeah, so the autopsy came back, and... Mm, They think it was a homicide because he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. So we cut straight to an interrogation room and there's a reenactment investigator who clearly went to the school of Italian gangster acting. Yes. And he's like, what did you do, Johnny? Yeah, what did you get? What was in it for you? Yeah, we know you did it. Why don't you just tell us? Yeah, you gonna fess up, buddy boy? Yeah, did you do it for the insurance money? Just let us know now. Don't make me take you outside and dance fight you. I've seen West Side Story. Sure, it comes out in another 20 years, but I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't give a shit. You know what I give a shit about? Two things. My mom's cup of ghoul and you telling me the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know who these two guys are that they interviewed? Mike's drinking buddies at the speakeasy. And as soon as the police interviewed the two men, they turn on each other quicker than you can say hipsters are just yuppies and suspenders. So those accidents, 
Mike getting hit by a cab, Mike almost freezing to death, they were not accidents. They were failed attempts to murder Mike. Mike's bar buddy, Tony, had paid the cab driver to hit Mike. And then when Mike was left to freeze out in the cold, they got him blackout drunk until he passed out. They stripped off his clothes and poured liquor all over him in the cold so he'd freeze to death. What the fuck? Yeah. And then they got so desperate because they were like, what is this guy, a freaking cat? Yeah. And so they went to his apartment. Y'all, this is dark. They hooked up a gas line and they put it in his mouth. Like they took a a tube from the gas line to his mouth and they filled his lungs with carbon monoxide. What a terrible way to die. Just in his own home. It's awful. I I don't, I will never understand. I could never put myself in the mind of people who are capable of these things. Joe Murphy and Tony Marino received death sentences for their truly bizarre and despicable plot to kill Mike Malloy. They were executed at Sing Sing Prison. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And Harry Hershey Green, the cabbie, he was sentenced to prison too. They don't tell us for how long. I don't know why. The thing is this. The life insurance policy was shit. It was so little. They killed this man for fucking pennies. Yeah, we see it all the time. Okay, so I did a little research, and I think that True Nightmares didn't want to pay extra actors. I think they had a really tight budget, because this was actually a group of five guys. It was Tony Marino, Joseph Murphy, Francis Pasqua, Hershey Green, and Daniel Kressberg. And so Marino owned that speakeasy that Mike Malloy went to and they gave him an unlimited tab because they knew he had like a drinking problem and they terrible fi- yeah they thought that he would abuse it and drink himself to death so when that wasn't happening listen to this they did way more to him when he wasn't like basically you know passing himself Marino put antifreeze in his liquor Jesus Christ didn't phase him so when the antifreeze didn't work they put turpentine in his drink. And when that didn't work, they put something called horse liniment, which is like Ben Gay. Oh my God. Like a medicine, like a Ben Gay. Then still wasn't working. They put in rat poison. Oh my God. None of these things would kill this man. They even add pure methanol like to his normal shots. And Malloy, like, did not die. Then they tried, like, giving him food poisoning. They put, like, spoiled food in. They put carpet tacks in the food. You know, when they first found Mike, they thought that he had died of pneumonia. Wow. You know, why would they test him further? So then rumors started going around, like, all over town about what happened. So they exhumed him, and then they they ran forensics testing. That's how they found out Jesus. he was actually Christ. murdered. It was really dark and I love how True Nightmares like, can we make it two guys? Wow. We do not have the budget for a five guy operation here. Well, that wraps it up here on True Nightmares where the moral of the story is you can't trust anyone, not a single person. I'm looking at you, Ellen. You've been acting funny. <laughs> Y'all be careful out there. The world is crazy. Hold on to the people you love and take care of each other. This is nuts. I am not one to talk. You're looking at a woman who just ate chicken pot pie out of a plastic container. So anyway, who am I to judge? But this show is wild. They're not lying when they call it true nightmares. Say something funny. If I called my dad on a Ouija board, he would be like, son, leave me alone. You put me through enough. You sang the wing beneath my wings in front of a whole congregation at 14 Please on no. Father's Day. Please We're no. done. I just, just no. Just, is that my son? No. Tell him no. Tell him I love him, but no. <laughs> Dang. 
This is hosted by Todd Robbins, not by Christopher. Correct. But we love you, Christopher. We love you, dumb bitches. Remember to follow us on socials. You know where it is. And if you don't and you're new here, thank you for being here. And find us at I Think Not Pod and follow us. We love hearing from you. We love taking your suggestions. What else should they do, Joey? You can join our Facebook group, which is called the I Think Not Podcast Facebook Discussion Group. We're having a lot of fun over there. And if you're feeling real fancy, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Say something nice. It just helps people find us in the algorithm. It really does. And if you would like a little bit more of me, you can always find me at Robbia and Ellen Solve the Case, my talk show with Robbia Chaudhry. We would love for you to take a listen. We talk about all kinds of true crime. And Joey is on our Richard Simmons episode. We'd love to see you there. Until then, we love you, dumb bitches. Love you, babies. Love you, Joey. I love you, too. Bye. Spirit, spirit. My, co- I don't know if I should put this. I don't know if I should say this, but I'm just gonna say it. I wrote B I B set atis go. I have no. That sounds riveting. I can't I wait to hear more. What the finely tuned fuck does that mean? A window into that brain. I have no idea. Bye.